Welcome to Understanding VC. I am your host Rahul. Understanding VC is a show where I talk to VCs to learn how they work. Today my guest is Anand Datta. Anand is a VP at Nexus Venture Partners, one of the first India-US venture funds started by successful entrepreneurs in enterprise technology and consumer internet. Prior to Nexus, Anand was an entrepreneur and a business leader. He was a founding team member of Magic Pen, a hyperlocal deal discovery platform and headed new market PNL and growth across Asia for Bima, a global insurtech company. Now let's talk to him. Hey Anand, thanks for joining me today on my podcast. Hey Rahul, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here. Very very glad to be speaking to you. Awesome. So, let's start with your background. So, where did you grow up? What were your interests growing up? And where did you study? What did you study? Yeah, so I I grew up in a, a you know, part of india which is a little small little town called patna which is on the eastern side of uh, india grew up in a family of my mom was in uh, reserve bank of india which is the central bank of india and so i grew up in the rbi colony which is like the government sets up this you know what you call a condo sort of a thing where you stay and then everybody is from reserve bank and going to work and my father has a very small little business of medical distribution in india it's, it's a very set path if you are doing well in studies you'll end up going into one of this systems called iits which are like engineering So you have an examination, you get stack ranked and people who are doing well end up being there. And that's how I took the IITJE. I was fortunate enough to get in and then I joined this college called IIT Kharagpur. I was more involved in the extra curriculums over there. I was a general secretary in arranging for the festivals and other sort of things over there in the student union over there. Very, very good experience. More from studies, I would say, in terms of how your personality and how you are set up by working with really the top talents of the country. who are very very competitive very very aggressive so this the competition or the competitiveness is something for you to set up in your life from the day very beginning for good or bad i don't know but it does so that's that's where i after ids worked with and then you know, a company called tara steel came back to again do my mba into a similar sort of schools which you have have out there which is called iim so was studying in this in one of them was fortunate enough to get into iims as well Post that a very very tried and tested route of working in the consulting, the top tier consulting. I was in Bain for a bunch of years. Most of it in India. Then for a small stint, I went to the Valley, and that's where I was exposed to the tech ecosystem and what is happening over there was game changing. That was a, this was the nascent time in India. Also, when the first wave of startups really started coming in. So Zomato got created out of Bain. This was as Foodie Bay and Dipinder and uh, Chadda all were starting up. You know, like just taking the flyers out there, taking up. the pictures delivery was created out of bain sahil was used to work we used to always party in sahil's house and then we had a small little soccer team where other people was there raghu from taxi for sure was there uh, who was playing there from trebo founder rahul used to be there very very close so there, there was this nascent time when startups were really coming up and the e-commerce was starting when we were getting out of my b school but that was the first time we had heard of flipkart and mintra there are these something so the consulting was was the day zero job and Uh, people who were end up uh, who were ending up you know like really struggling to get into because this was just after the lehman crisis also so jobs were a little tight but they were ending up going to let's say the flipkarts and mintra of the world and if i now look back i feel like a fool that what i was what else i do be doing like 10 years back if i had gotten into flipkart or mintra i would have done probably much better in my career but that's how it was the inflection point right out there and we are seeing what things were happening and then that's where In 2014-15, where I, some of the, some of my, you know, like mentors and seniors from Bain, they were starting up this company called Magic Pen, which later got funded by Lightspeed and others. And and the founders, one of them was a 
VC in Nexus and the other one was a VC in Lightspeed. They were starting up. And I literally joined them as the first member in that team. Starting it practically from deliveries rooftop. I just, we went to file and say that we do not have a place. Just give us the rooftop and we'll hire yeah. some interns and we'll start the company. And that's where we saw zero to one. Came out of that company to start up on my own. And the ironic enough, the startup, I could not really like raise fund for myself. We shut it down. Joined another company, which was a Swedish tech company, insure tech company, which wanted to launch India. Joined them as the insure, like the India CEO. The company grew well. We raised multiple rounds of funding in total more than 200, 250 mil. It became large. I started, you know, India, we struggled with the regulations and all in the insurance space. And so launched them in Malaysia, headed them in Philippines and started looking after their growth markets as the regional manager there in, uh, in, in those growth markets in, in Asia. And that is the time when I was actually moving to Singapore. My family was also, my wife was working in Bangalore. I was doing the hop in hop off. We just had a kid. And that's where Nexus approached and was always intrigued by VC. In Magic Pin had seen the founders also very closely who came from the VC background and was always interested by the fact that the broad length of or breadth of knowledge that VC gives you. So when it happened, I just jumped in. So that's mostly, and apart from startups, I'm, I am into sports and keep following some sort of, uh, you know, but now I get uh, very less time, but otherwise I try to play tennis once in a while. And that's, that's what my most of my time goes into. Okay. So I would like to know a little bit more about your consulting experience. So uh, do you think that really helped uh, uh, you as a founder and also as a VC? Definitely it did. You know, like there is a large overlap with consulting and, and I'll tell you what works and what doesn't work also. So what works is that consulting teaches you first principle thinking because as a college grad who has just freshly come out of college and you had thrown it. So I remember my first case where my counterparts on the business side had worked 40 years into that industry. And I was just going fresh out of the college with no knowledge of infrastructure and all that was the project on. But you are taught this toolkit where you break larger problem into smaller problems and then try to solve for those smaller problems and come out with a first principle thinking over there. And that's pretty much it. When you go to the startup, you are also thrown, thrown into a very ambiguous situation. Nobody, by the definition of a startup, nobody else has done it before. So the experience counts only for so much. What counts is that how in that situation you are able to work in an ambiguity by solving for, you know, breaking the larger problems into smaller problems and using that toolkit. That's where there is a lot of overlap with consulting. However, there is also a challenge that consulting is more about, you know, very less into execution and more into giving uh, the knowledge or giving the directional guidance to another person to do it. Startup is not about that. Startup is way more about iteration. Startup is that where you, you know, like try to work on problem sets and try to solve for them. And if they do not work very quickly, take a feedback loop and try to improve on it by a small, small little delta. And these small deltas turn up to be giving your direction to the company. So if you're not ready to roll up your sleeve and you are in, still in that consulting mode where you believe that you will give the strategic direction and somebody else will execute, that won't work in a startup ecosystem. So that's the difference, I would say, in this. Yeah. But, yeah. but moving to VC, I'm again seeing that the consulting toolkit with the experience from what I've seen in startup, that that too mix is working out very well. Yeah, I can imagine. So I've asked this before to another guest on the podcast. Uh, could, could you explain first principles thinking with an example? Because I think that's very important that I learn yeah. maybe something different too. Yeah. yeah. So first, as I mentioned earlier, the first principle thinking is all about breaking the problem into smaller problems. And then the method I used is something like a hypothesis tree. I just take blank page. I take out that, okay, what is the problem? And it starts by first asking yourself the right question. 
So you ask the what is the topmost question? Okay, if this topmost question, let's say we are saying that you know in this company the it's not profitable ever. So so what is the next layer question? The next layer question is is revenue a problem or is cost a problem? Then what is the next level question between the revenue and cost? Why is revenue not growing? Is it revenue like mix is the pro- if the revenue volume is the problem or is the price a problem? Within that, why is volume not growing? Is the volume not growing because there is a problem that the channel mix is not working? Customers do not want X Y Z X Y Z X Y Z. Similarly, on the cost side, X Y Z X Y Z X Y Z. And after you have broken and after you start making hypothesis for every one of them, you start testing it with a small micro experiment. That is this working because of this? Is this work not working because of this? And you try to come up answer very fast and identify the tactical answers which can help you solve those problems. And and that's in a nutshell shell is first principle thinking. You know, like that. Give me any problem. I'm not going to. What is not first principle thinking? What is not first principle thinking is when a problem comes to you. Hey, revenue is not working. I try to force it into some of my experience which has happened. You know, like. in xyz situation a revenue has not worked so that might be happening over here i will do whatever i had done in the xyz situation in this situation so that is what can lead to failure because more often than not while that can help in your still in your first principle thinking when you are trying after doing this first three four layers of solutioning you come to the last layer of it but if you want to force fit that that from the very first point that revenue is not working because you know what i had seen in the company like tata this was what was happening that thing will fail that is not first principle thinking so that's that's probably what i categorize as a first principle thinking but not so first principle thinking awesome awesome it's always so a previous guest on this podcast uh, he mentioned that yeah it's very important that you're aware of all the assumptions or the data that you that goes into you, your thinking even if you don't have the full picture yeah. so that i thought was like a really good perspective okay so i like to ask like startups like in general are very chaotic right and uh, so as as you move forward uh, you know it's it's important for founders uh, to develop an ability to stay calm so why do you think this is important and like how how can founders achieve this calm over a period of time yeah it's very very hard thing to achieve but uh, i'll i'll just see i'll tell you what i have seen some of the founders who i respect a lot have done to do that so uh, yeah. and it works as differently for different people first for the first question why is it to be very calm because if you are not calm you'll react to a situation instead of thinking about the situation and taking a dispassionate uh, uh, view of that more often that not every week something will happen and shit will hit the fan right and issue be just reactive to that it's so easy to react at that moment and then then it becomes a challenge and it will happen so so many times so frequently that you will be in a position where you are not taking the right decision as well as it will harm your life in general you will not be in a good position so that you do not want to do so that's where i would say that calmness is very very important and calm is a superpower i keep saying that always i have tweeted it also that remain calm is always a superpower now yeah, i actually got this uh, looking at your tweets no because yeah because this is probably one of the most important thing i've realized in this thing so you know things can go back i'm a big yeah. believer in stoicism i read about stoicism a lot and the thing is that there are controllable variables there are uncontrollable variables you will do something market can go still bad like if you look at the ola and taxi for sure right like uh, both were doing almost similar like by the time but what happened was some incident happened in gurgaon by the time the founder reached us he was he had fund commitment which backed out and ola at the same time had the fund commitment and they went ahead and ola is now big and taxi for sure was 
required by that was there something which the founder could do or was it completely out of his control there will always be two sets of variables uh, there are input variables which will happen which you can control and if you keep your mind on focused on that after you have done that there will always be variables which will never be on your control and then you can only react after the answers start coming to just iterate on that and in doing that if you lose your calm that hey you know why is this happening that my rival is able to raise fund i am not getting funding you can only try from your side you cannot control if another vc chooses to fund your uh, rival so yeah. that's where the calmness uh, method like I, i probably went into the method also over here the method is pretty simple it's about that keeping what's in your control what's not in your control trying to keep a mind on what's in your control and trying to work on only those items which are on your control and and then work on that it's very hard to do the other things which helps you to do that is to have one a a co-founder always start up with a co-founder is what i say as people because it's a topsy turvy journey you need to have people with whom you can confide you can work with be along with the co-founder have a group of very trusted friends who are founders themselves so i was talking to one of the founders he's a very very successful founder actually two of them they almost had a core team of six founders who will you know like go out for a retreat together go out for the, with families together and this was beyond their own co-founding or founding team because all of them will go through almost similar journey there are things you can and if you can have these friends with whom you can confide you can think through and not having to go back to your investor or something that tactically helps to keep you much much saner and calmer to have a voice with whom you can talk third yeah. thing you can do is have a mentor or a guide yeah. so for example ola founder bavesh had tvg similar multiple people have gone for a like a trusted guide to whom you can pick up the phone and just talk and once you are able to talk and talk about the problem in your hand in a dispassionate way that keeps you helps you keep calm and solve a lot yeah. these three things together i would say could could help you keep calm but otherwise is always about your mental control and things yeah therapy also could help i guess Correct. it's, it's so the same th- thing th- so so the third point around the mentor or guide when i say it very well there is something which is a mental therapist can also be your guide right you need somebody yeah. to talk to that's the core principle now if you get a guide awesome if you're not able to trust get a trusted guide a therapist many a times if you are feeling that you are depressed or many a times you are feeling and it's very hard to judge by the way but if you are feeling you are stressed there is absolutely no harm or no shame let me put it because there is a taboo about it to talk to a therapist like one of my closest friends who is a founder he goes very regularly to a therapist just to talk and then and, and just to hear back so yeah yeah so uh, what i've realized is that over a period of years i've gotten better at this and but even to this day when there is some scenario where shit hits the fan i the immediate thought for me is to think of the worst okay uh, usually that means maybe the business is being shut down or something like that but then um, because of this repeated you know loops that you have you kind of know that okay there are always going to be problems you know let's just sleep on it and then we'll try to fix it <laughs> yeah tomorrow yeah. i generally have got better at it i i, I can't figure out how and <laughs> have yeah you know i was reading this i generally don't like self help books but narain who is the founder of nexus he had gifted me this book called 15 habits of the leader i'm forgetting the name now it had a very good point very simple physical point that when shit hits the fan take a step back like force yourself to not react for like 5 10 minutes just as simple as 5 10 minutes take deep breaths actually deep breaths help it's as tactical as that just take deep breaths for that 5 10 minutes walk around go this and don't force yourself to not react at all 
and then after that you just come back sit and think about it you know talk to a person before that you are in much better position what yeah. happens is that like in shit heads the fact our first reaction is to panic and do something and this that's the ability to not do something in that situation that itself goes a long way to keep you calm i am still not able to do it 100% but i cognizantly try to force me to do it as many times as possible that if some very very stressful situation comes i tend to not do anything for 5 10 minutes and that that just that helps me to keep calm or or oh. calm down <laughs> that's brilliant actually uh, when when i look back at what i do that's kind of what i do nowadays i usually sleep so yeah it, it it physically because finally a lot of these things is physical also like the hormones get created adrenaline just reacted gets created cortisol. you react because of the cortisols get created you get pushed of that if you just take a step back try to stay calm try to think through that helps that doesn't yeah. solve it 100% but that definitely helps yeah oh, cool so there's uh, i mean i'm going to be talking about a lot of things that you've already tweeted about so one other things that you've mentioned is like there are so many great products that doesn't do well uh, because of the lack of the sales or the marketing skills so why, why do you think a lot of founders uh, neglect to realize the importance of communication and sales yeah a multitude of reasons we are a very product first vcs ourselves we we put a lot of stress in good product but increasingly i i believe that communicating what is good in your product to versus to leave it to the founder to just sorry to the customer to just just find it for themselves is doing a disservice to your product right you might have it very very clearly in your mind that uh, this is such a great product the customer might not find so if you take an example of let's say superhuman the founder has a culture that every customer who comes on superhuman he first takes them through the journey so that yeah. you know every point what are the features available and the customer goes through so many aha moments in that that they get sticky to the to the product itself so yeah. that that's a great communication like i'm and why i put it this example is because this is a communication post distribution so yeah. what i tweeted was that every founder should focus on communication because and that could become a part of distribution that could become a part of marketing that could become a customer onboarding that could become a part of customer service all of these are different forms of communication right one is about communicating to the customer that hey there are so many good things buy you me one is hand holding the customer while he is buying to be consultative about it one is after you have bought you have given me my money but i still want the experience to be so good that you go and organically talk about us to others and the final thing is about you know like you are my customer you are part of the family i do not want you to get feel bad and now to your question why some founders don't get it or they do not do it because you know as the move companies are moving towards digital economy making the product takes a lot of tech effort making the product takes a lot of uh, the thing so so once we have made the product and you are so close to the product that you feel that hey this is coming naturally to me why isn't it that they people will not get it but believe me most of the time if it's a good space there will be 10 other companies who will do what you're doing right now until the time you do not realize or do not communicate to the customer why exactly is your product better than the other alternative available in the market they have no reason to buy it so that's where i suggest to lot of engineer first founders that come to us we love engineer first founders we actually invest in tech first founders much more than any other way however i believe that in those tech first founders the ability to communicate the ability to create distribution this is a very very core capability which they need to develop to take their company companies to the next level yeah so i mean uh, m- maybe i'm wrong it's just a pattern that i see that engineers are usually good at first principle thinking and you know all this iterations and stuff doing a lot of experiments 
but they're not really good at probably building a relationship or at external communication yeah. so do you think that that is the reason why it's it, a, it's, out, it's out of their comfort zone or no it, it's a generalization and generally there are two things uh, but at at broadly empirically many a times it's correct now i have seen two or three things happening over there first of all is that many that's why the best teams are which teams which has complementary skill set as co-founders one person will be very very good in tech and product but there is a sales or a business mindset person on the as a co-founder as well yeah and the core reason which you mentioned that more than anything for tech you need to have such a such a funnel view that you know you need to be in front of your computer you need to be solving you need to be always solving problem problem that many a times try even internal teams many with tech teams i've seen the problem that the ability to communicate within the tech team sometimes feels like a challenge like you ask anybody about moving the put the tickets on jira or write the brd on confluence people will have that challenge also that they what am i doing so they always want to be in solving solving state and and bunch of them are introverts also because for them like talking around and all this is like a waste of time at many time so that's where the best teams are where you have two people with a very complementary dna one person who is ready to communicate evangelize the team so if you look at my one of the investment nectar which is from singapore abhijit is a core core salesman he was president of sales in capillary has done this uh, for his living and he is a great strategist he is a great communicator and aravind is a great technologist so he is a great technologist he is a great product person but he is more like i want to solve my product i want to solve my technology and he wants to focus on that and when you put that two together then you have a winning formula to actually yeah. go out and win 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 in the market yeah yeah so yeah speaking of vc so what is like the best pitch that you've ever heard in your life it's so 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 difficult to say but so there are two pitches which just stand out in my mind always as it would have been because they stand out in my mind i invested in both of them so but first one which comes to my mind is a more recent is a company called filo that we have invested in it's essentially they had everything laid out in notion so every question you wanted it was not on a ppt they were going through you had a question they had a link to it click another document was opening everything was laid out they were talking about apis api specs were there to see so it was just so well organized that it was almost like a mental map out there which was going and they had answer to everything and this was in one of the most ambiguous spaces as possible like this is a space is a nebulous space it's coming up and all i'm not going deep into it because it's still not out in public what they are working on but it's amazing how they had laid out so the what, thing i liked about it was structure so if you can see finally what when you are speaking to vc what do you want to communicate a what is the thing the challenge in the market why is there a gap yeah. so what is the challenge in the gap how can how will you try to solve it yeah. why are the why are you the team who can solve it yeah. and if you solve it how big a market opportunity it can be and how like how will that market opportunity will be achieved these four yeah. questions yeah if you are able to solve it in a very succinct structured way you have won the vc and they were so structured so that that's where i was i was quite blown away with the presentation and the pitch that they had created the other one was another company called onshority in which i invested when the founder came in first we didn't have a deck he just we just didn't open a deck and we just whiteboarded it out so it was almost like he was saying and it happened to be he was from insurance i had done insurance in bus flight so we just completely it was a whiteboard we had markers he was writing i was on the other side of board i was writing we were just brainstorming 
and we never never opened up a presentation and then the entire funding happened without opening up a single presentation in that uh, that discussion so these two just stand out but the down arrow if you ask me if uh, people who are viewing this podcast wants that how they should be what is the good pitch for a vc those four five questions ask yeah. answer them as succinctly as possible and then try to make it conversation in the in the presentation don't stick to your slides that i have to present slide by slide point by point these things don't stick yeah. to like if a vc is asking you a question hey i will come to this question after i have skipped through like skimmed through five slides those are the sort of are the sort of things which just kills the presentation yeah have a conversation and build a rapport right yeah like and and answer answer those core five points yeah, yeah. everything apart from that is just a add on so yeah 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 okay so i have a question similar to what we've just uh, discussed in with fundraising so as a founder you 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 probably think that the best investor you can work with is someone who is honest and open but let's say you're fundraising and only one investor has offered you a term sheet and your gut feeling about this investor is like really not good uh, would you still close that deal and if you do like uh, what are some of the ways you can still work with such an investor in a, in a very positive way this is quite a hypothetical question because there are multitudes of angles which will come into play like for example if you have a runway for 6 more months or 7 more months i would not pick up this vc at all i will keep running i'll try to keep building at a very very frugal way to hit some numbers and try to see if there are other vcs over there that is the first thing i will try to but if you are in a situation where in one year the company will shut down and you do not have any other vc coming in there is no hope in that scenario i will probably pick it up pick them up that's probably the only scenario which i will pick them up and i'll get them but if i get them i will be very very as much as possible on the term sheet be sure about what are the terms and things so about the rofer about the lick pref about the about the things like how much board seat we have how much so as much two things around that a as much control of the company i will try to keep with myself as possible so that i can take decision independently secondly on the next rounds and the other rounds where i have to you know like uh, onboard other investors. investors and others i would not give out a rights to these guys that they can block out something well after that it becomes just a money and then you can just play around and and have your voice as well uh, okay but net net if i can run for longer without him at a much lower scale also i will keep doing that to reach to a particular point in which my mind it seems that i can raise money from others okay So, what are those specific uh, rights, shareholder rights that you'd be like you'll keep a watch out for during fundraising? Yeah, so number of board seats, I will yeah. make sure that I I am at majority over there, so decision making goes through that. A lick pref for sure that if that comes to this thing, tag along rights, rofer rights. So some of these, like um, obviously, like term sheet to term sheet, you'll have to see and then bottoms up read out on this. But these okay. are the ones which come to my mind top of top of mind. Okay, uh, sorry. So, what is tagalon rights and uh, rofer? If you if you could explain. Rofer is a rofer is a right of first refusal. So, if you're doing the next round, they might have the right that you know at this valuation or something they can come in first. If you are not happy with that investor, why would you give them that round? Now, yeah. you will want to yeah. want them to dilute and somebody some other investor to come along. Now, tagalon is a, of course like the right to do a prorate. and or if the exit is coming then they can also tag along and they also get a this thing so so i would say basically end of the day go through the term sheet well whatever the term sheet go to a lawyer which you whom you trust try to go through this one markis talk to another founder 
who has worked before with multiple yeah. investors and try to take, then take out the all the non standard clauses that's available on that term sheet okay okay yeah so i've uh, seen your tweet which says uh, which which is basically lending is a business of collection C- could you please explain that yeah yeah absolutely so see in lending it's very easy to give out money to others right it's only when you try to take the money back that's the business about it so uh, so if you think about fintech in broad right there are four basic pillars of fintech there is payment there is lending there is savings there is insurance in payment you are in the flow so you dip something and you just take out one or two percent in lending you are giving money to somebody else and then you say that hey you will give me money back so i will take my, make money out of it in savings what happens is that you take somebody else's money and say that i'll return you after some time and i will give it to you at certain percentage increase and insurance is the worst where you say that hey you give me my money something if it happens trust me i'll give somebody in your who's your relative some money out of it right so if you think about ease of selling it's actually in the lower like descending order over there and in lending does because you are giving money to somebody else is the easiest thing to do that you know you want my money yeah take your my money but in that you have to make sure that tomorrow you will get that get that money back so if you think about lending as a business it's all about first at the first level identifying that is the underwriting piece identifying people from whom you will be able to collect and b after that an execution that you are able to collect the money from them and that's why in a nutshell i say that it's just a business of collection however way you put it and it's not just distribution that you go ahead and give oh i have created distributed so much lending because we always get startups which come and say that you know i we are distributing 50 million dollars every month and all and i'm supposed to be a great business no how much of that is you are collecting back in time with the interest is where you start telling me that you are being a good business yeah so i think building up a very robust credit risk model is the end game right no not not just the credit risk model the collection okay. model as well so you can okay. give out so there are two parts of it first is the credit risk model which is the identity part which i'm saying that you know like at what rate to what people you will give but even after that because of the ability you have identified there there could be intent there could be other parts of it because of the which people are not able to give you money and then to go and collect that money back on time that's also a very core ability of a lending so both both this credit writing ability as well as the collection ability together is what makes a robust lending business okay uh, is there a tech solution for this collection business i mean uh, there are a bunch of yeah there are a bunch of startups which are coming up in this space it's actually a very interesting startup is called credgenix which you can look out for there is another startup called i can pay there are a bunch of startups which are coming from like you know paytm also has a startup on that that part so now there is a there is a growing thought that ai ml can play a large part of this where you can after you have given out money you can understand that what is going on in this what sort of customer segment is this should we you know like we can end up spending x amount of money in retrieving the money from that should we just give out that discount to them and say that instead of x take take x minus y as a discount and you just give that money back to me so all sort of ai ml solutions are coming out of there and given what is happening because of pandemic this will be a very interesting area on on how to create a digital debt collection agencies there yeah so right now it's just uh, people just abusing <laughs> calling up and trying to that's become a big problem right so if, uh, yeah. and the government in that those cases take a very very strong action i think a bunch of chinese lending companies have faced a lot of problems in the indian ecosystem right now uh, very awfully yeah yeah 
So uh, another interesting tweet uh, that he put out uh, previously was like category creation can be an easy to miss, but but outcomes are massive. I mean, uh, like something like Airbnb is like probably a good yeah, example. Yeah. Have you invested in a startup recently that you think is going to create a category? If yes. Yeah. So for example, if you think about, uh, you know, like that tweet was specific to what I was reading Toby Oh, who's the founder of Shopify. Shopify, yeah. Shopify, he had he had mentioned that when he was going to the VCs, all the VCs would say that, you know, there are just 10,000 of such merchants or 20,000 of the merchants. Yeah. Uh, why, how is this a large TAM? And yeah. Toby would tell them that, do you yeah. realize why there are only 10,000 or 20,000 exactly. merchants? Because I there's no Shopify. Yeah. yeah, because that was brilliant. Like, because there is no Shopify. Once I, I bring in Shopify, you will see this 10, 20,000 going up to whatever. Right now, there are millions of those uh, online storefronts, right? Yeah. So that's what category creation can do. So we are recently working with a company which is on the creator economy, where the still the creator economy is an upcoming segment. It's not completely, and they are trying to create a data layer and everything over there. Uh, it will be a it, it will be a very serious category creation or category creation business over there. Unfortunately, I cannot tell out the full full details of the business how and what they are doing about. But the challenge in funding a category creation business is basically that. You need to be so aligned with the story and the founder has to be so strong that you, because you are finally backing a story, the inherent macros, the inherent drivers are still not out there. So given they are still not out there, it's very difficult to pinpoint that things will happen this way or that way. And then, and then you are taking a much bigger bet. But the outcomes can be so large in such a market and or to such a this thing, business. I think those are the bets for which PCs have to be really bold and keep an eye out for. Yeah. So as a founder, then your story it becomes the very key here because you don't have like absolutely. much to go on. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you have to convince that, hey, you believe in this story because of XYZ and you are yeah. able to sell out that story to the to the funds that, that yeah. they also believe in your story. Yeah. I've worked on one such idea in the past. Uh, so we, we were working on so if you look at the toy market, there are only toys for the large or the, the head of the, if you look at the long tail and the head of the head, head storytellers like Disney Marvel on the big place. There, there's no sto- uh, like toys for uh, things like maybe Shikari Shambhu or something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so we, we thought that we could do this and uh, because uh, we had built a, a small toy 3D printer. Okay. So with 3D printing, maybe we can address, you know, that problem and maybe create a market. So we, we tested with like five independent storytellers. <laughs> but again, the problems were that there was not enough margin. It, it was extremely expensive and the quality was still poor. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, because and see, a bunch of those category creation attempts might fail, right? Yeah. Because there are, there are absolutely, it's one of the most challenging things to pull off. So, so the failure rates will be high on the category, any of the category creation. Which, uh, attempts yeah. that would be made well it could come back maybe like 10 years or <laughs> like yeah. web van and maybe instacart or something like that right yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah so, so a couple of questions regarding the indian tech ecosystem so maybe in 2014 when when you when you guys are starting out a lot of these products were uh, what what has already happened in the us or what is happening what was happening in china but uh, now nowadays that has changed you know, we're building a lot of SaaS companies for the global market. So what, what do you think brought about this change? 
I think the any any ecosystem goes through its maturity curve, right? Like the initial yeah. days, it was a lot of tech talent was already in US and China, and then the tech innovations were happening there. And India's uh, tech infrastructure was very very low. Like the digital penetration was very low. Digital people having smartphones etc. was very very low. And then most of the companies that were getting built out of India was on IT services, so it was services company. But what happened over the last five six years is that a those consumer products started in India. Bunch of the talent came back to India from the valley, and then they started building companies out here. While doing while working for the global companies over there, they were exposed to the DNA or the or the skills required to be to be you know like doing tech startup. Secondly, what happened is because companies like Flipkart got created, Zomato's got created. There was an ecosystem that came around. People also, and this ecosystem got money also. Freshworks people got some exit. There, there was exits around Flipkart, and then and a lot of these founders started becoming angel investor also. So the boldness or the risk taking appetite of the talent in India started increasing. The exposure they had into the market, like how what are the things that could be created, that started increasing. VC funds came in, so the ability to just freely think that you know, like, and the angel investors when came in. So when I say boldness, the boldness of starting up and the boldness of the ideas also started increasing. That earlier was that has this been proven? No. By the way, there is still a lot of bias to see that because that becomes a less risky proposition, right? That this has worked in different markets. But right now, the people are taking moonshots at, at things like you know, like which have not been done into any of the markets abroad. And so the boldness of starting up, the number of people starting up increased, and the boldness of the ideas also started increasing. And all of this has coming together to create a perfect storm. That's what you are seeing is this year happening out. Like a, yeah, a number of startups that I we are seeing is it's just just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I have heard one of the VCs say that you know in developing markets, ideas doesn't matter. Execution is everything because if an idea is already been done somewhere else, uh, there's al- always a market. Yeah. And I guess we did not have a lot of investors who believed in the product making capability like maybe ten years before, and now we do. That that's also happening for sure because uh, genuinely the talent was more less exposed to what was happening in the market, and genuinely. Bunch of these ideas which we are seeing, which was happening in India, that was not possible five six years ago. So people are trying. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've already mentioned this about a kid uh, who's trying to send a satellite, but then there is some power cut or something. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so if you were to wish for like one regulatory support startups in India, what would that? Be? No regulatory interference. Yeah, minimum support. <laughs> minimum regulatory interference. You know, like. Why the ecosystem has thrived is because there is less regulatory interference. But uh, as the things mature, as more things will happen, there will be a long bunch of regulatory interference. But if that can be rational and that can be kept at a certain level, uh, that itself is a great help. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that. I mean, when, when you were setting up a service business, purely selling SaaS, SaaS works so much better because there is not much interference with the government at the moment. But pro- if you're in health tech or probably fintech or something, uh, that there is that. So is there anything, uh, one specific example that you could give uh, probably in insurance or uh, fintech that is like, okay, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I just actually read today about the capital gain tax for uh, angel investors. So, yeah, I, I, I would not go into those uh, regulatory aspects because these are still nebulous, but I'll give you an example of even even more fundamental what happened in like, for example, in Bima, where we struggled with uh, launching in India. You know, for the longest time, so in Bima, the model, the how it works is that uh, 
insurance money is collected from the mobile wallet mobile wallet when you say like you have prepaid wallet when you recharge your phone you have some talk time but if it is a talk time for money it can also go like a value added services one rupee can be deducted every every day and based on how much money has been deducted from you you can be given an insurance cover which is proportional to that however it's because the tri rule which is the telecom this thing rule over here was uh, that you can sell on over mobile phone with mobile money only things were which were digital so and the definition of digital was digitally created digitally distributed and digitally consumed and somehow insurance was not digital in that definition and this was a gray zone because insurance they are saying that money has to be given in cash or the claims cannot be given in mobile you know like when a, if a claim happens it cannot be given in mobile money but it can only be given out in, in a lump sum check or a cash or something and that's where it's not digitally consumed and thus the telcos were not ready to take insurance sell insurance as a digital product which is very stupid because digital insurance because this was the government wanted insurance and more financial inclusion this was probably the best way to take the insurance to masses because so many people have mobile phone connections and yet because of the way a particular regulation is being interpreted this could not be taken to the market so and and that's that sort of challenges were there multiple fold and this is just an example but uh, but if lesser the challenges lesser the you know like uh, regulations which are put around digital ecosystem better it is for for the ecosystem yeah yeah okay so let's end on a <laughs> positive note so w- w- what do you think like how how do you describe the current state of indian ecosystem like uh, there are so many uh, startups going doing going to ipo soon plus i, I recently read that saas boomi report uh, where like you know we could potentially service like 4 to 6% of all the entire enterprise saas market or something in 10 years time so as we spoke about earlier right that it's every ecosystem goes through maturity phases and the indian like, tech ecosystem is in such a point of inflection because everything coming together right now we always product companies from india were not going abroad earlier now suddenly you are seeing global product companies getting created out of india you are seeing a tech talent there is a critical mass which is it's gone beyond bangalore was the only hub now hubs like chennai is coming up the hubs like hyderabad pune ncr was always there they are coming up you are seeing entrepreneurs who are seeing money and are redeploying that money again back in startup ecosystem look at sachin bansal he got the exit out of flipkart he has put everything back into his fintech startup kunal shah the money he got is like started up again and he is doing so there is a appetite which is there is a hunger there is a boldness and there is a ability of all, all of which is coming together and i i think next 10 years should be a golden age for indian startup ecosystem it will grow like the valley grew after in, in a particular rate it will also grow and finally unlike china whatever it be called india's you know like why india might have its own problems but india's corporate governance india's openness to markets india's openness of talent movement and everything is way more there now while the challenge in india is that the gdp per capita has not grown exponentially as china so the india consumer market how it will behave is a risk i always keep thinking of but the saas and the proliferation of the global products that you are seeing itself will give such a force multiplier to the indian startup ecosystem that the next 10 years you will see quite quite amazing exponential growth and it will be very very interesting phase for indian startup ecosystem yeah 
Awesome. This was a wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on my show. Absolutely. My pleasure, Rahul, and very, very interesting conversation. But please, I uh, would love, uh, really love the experience. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please do subscribe at understandingvc.com and leave us a review.